Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let us pray. Our dear, gracious Heavenly Father, again we come before Thee this evening, hour of grace, as we have oft in the past, even though as we approach Thee in prayer, we draw nigh unto Thee, but we know that Thou art ever-present. And as the Apostle Paul says, never far from any one of us. But our hearts seem at times so far distant, and we need <clears throat> to draw closer so that we might know and experience thy grace and thy comfort and thy assurance and thy nearness, that we might have that refuge and that surety as we journey here in this world where we are surrounded by many enemies so much that would jeopardize our faith and our journey and so much that would hinder us and keep us from reaching the end of the journey but we pray that thou would <clears throat> preserve us and keep us until that day when we can lay down our traveling staff and take up the palms of victory and thanksgiving and praise to thy name. We pray again this evening hour as we are before thy holy and eternal word that that word would find entrance in our hearts and minds through the gift of hearing which thou hast given unto us and that we might be able to receive it into our hearts <clears throat> and that it would enrich us and strengthen us encourage us and admonish us and whatsoever is necessary to keep us and direct us again in the way of righteousness and truth for as the psalmist has said thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path and so may it be even this night of grace may it be our ever present fortress to which we can flee and find refuge in time of need <clears throat> we pray for those who are the shut-ins the sick the infirm the aged those who are in the midst of troubles and cares and warfares and feel the onslaughts of the enemy of the soul, be thou their strength and their comfort. Those that mourn, be their comforter and strength. And those who look for thee and for thy nearness, be thou near unto them. We ask and we plead these things, but we know that it is thy fatherly divine goodness and mercy to give us of thy kingdom. 
and the make known thyself. It is thy greatest joy to reveal thy heart unto us and thy children. And so may it be so even this night of grace. Hear us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Next song is number 224.
Tonight we'll read from the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew, and we'll read the 44th verse. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Here it speaks of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus here had spoke in this chapter concerning many things of the kingdom of heaven and what it is like unto. He speaks of the one who went to sow the seed and it fell into four different heart conditions, into four different soils. And he speaks of the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a mustard seed that's likened unto a leaven. And also the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is likened unto ten virgins. Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God that it's his Father's good pleasure to give unto you. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. There was a time Jesus says, my kingdom is not far hence. That it was before him, the journey that was before him. There would be a kingdom that he would establish That would be a kingdom that would be eternal, a kingdom that would, where he would be the one who would be the king of. And there is a desire upon his heart tonight that within that kingdom, through such means as the sower going forth to sow the seed into the different types of ground that it would begin to bear fruit a hundred, sixty, and so forth fold. And we read here that the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field. In a prior parable when he begins to speak of the field he says the field is the world and one of the early writers or preachers when he spoke of the field he spoke of it as man's heart so here the kingdom of heaven in this parable is like unto a treasure hid in a field. So there is a treasure here that is hid in the field. And there is one who is 
looking and searching for that treasure that is within this field. This parable probably can be spoken in two different ways. But tonight I would like to speak of it in a way that Jesus, who has become the great cross-bearer, that he is the one who is seeking for the treasure. And tonight, as he beholds each of us here, he is seeking a certain treasure that would bring joy to his heart. But this treasure is hidden in a field or in the world. And for him to find that treasure, it will bring much labor and travail. That he would be able to receive a joy when he has found that treasure. But then on the other hand, we can say that there's a treasure hid in a field that you and I seek. And that treasure is the kingdom of God where there's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. When God begins to work within that field and his seed is sown therein, and some falls on certain types of ground, even that they receive it with joy. But when tribulation and trouble come, the sun begins to scorch that seed and it brings forth no fruit. It seems that in the Word of God there is always a there is the Savior who seeks mankind who thirsts after man who had to cry on a cross I thirst but also there are such as the woman of Samaria who comes to that well and wants to receive of that living water So when God begins that work, when that seed is sown within the heart, one begins to, when they come to the place they know of their sin, their transgressions and their unworthiness before the all-seen eye of God, the eternal God. Within that heart there becomes a longing and a desire that, oh, that I could receive a righteousness, peace, and joy. And of we who are gathered here tonight, we've probably sought it in many different ways. It may have been in a form of religion where we tried to pacify our own conscience 
before a demanding God. And the more we tried and endeavored to pacify the conscience that has been awakened by the Word of God, the greater and the farther our fall has become evident to us. And there is no way we could satisfy a God who demands holiness and righteousness. And eventually it wears a man down, a person down, that they no longer have strength to begin to fulfill the righteous demands of God. And in this place they become helpless and hopeless. There may be some who have tried to pacify a restless conscience. Maybe it has been with a bottle of beer. It may have been the worldly pleasures of the sport entertainment. But when God is truly working within that heart, there is no refuge, there is no satisfaction, there is no righteousness, peace and joy. And now Jesus here says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field. Jesus who knows all things and sees all things along with the Father in heaven. And they see a awakened, struggling soul in the mire of sin and unbelief longing to taste of the waters of Bethlehem. The calling voice of the shepherd then comes in within that heart of the, of the awakened. And they begin to hear a voice that is calling them by name. A voice that they had not heard before. A voice that has a different tone and a sweetness to it. And it creates within their own heart then a longing to partake of that one who calls on to them. There is a great treasure hid within this field that the Savior seeks tonight. And it is you and I. And when he had found it, he hideth and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. So when he had found that treasure or God's lost creation, that creation that the Heavenly Father so yearned after, after Adam and Eve transgressed, transgressed in the garden, Already there they began to call out, Adam, Adam, where art thou? Tonight the same voice is heard from the heart of God the Father unto his creation. 
that he can take it back onto himself that that creation would be his very own. But it speaks here that he he goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. It speaks joy here also. And for joy goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. In another place it speaks that for the joy that was set set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. When Jesus then went to buy that field, it says he had to sell all that he had. It was no not a demand that he does it, but he came to fulfill the will of his Father in heaven. When he came from the glories of heaven to the sin-cursed earth, the moment he there took upon himself the seed of Abraham, he began to sell all that he had. He left the glories of heaven, the song of the angels, where he received honor, praise, and glory to come to the sin-cursed earth. There where he could buy that treasure that is hid in the field, where he could redeem you and I unto himself. But for, for him to do that, he had to forsake everything, and he surely did. He, in perfect obedience, journeyed from Jerusalem, or from Bethlehem on to Jerusalem, thirty-some years. But his complete obedience would not redeem you or I. But also there had to be an offering for the sins of mankind. And the Savior willingly takes the sins of you and I and bears them patiently onto the cross at Golgotha. And it was a joy for him to endure this so he could redeem unto himself a chosen people that one day he could present unto his father and say, Here, Father, are the children that I have redeemed and saved, and they are yours forever. He goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. You know, when he has bought that field and when he has purchased and won to himself a chosen bride, a pure, spotless, one that he can rejoice over and with full confidence say that you are mine. I have redeemed you. But also, what he also has taken on to himself when he has bought that field, he has taken on to himself all your sins and mine, all our infirmities, all our sorrows, all our troubles, 
all the sadness that comes upon us, the Savior has taken and He has borne those. So when He bought that field, He had to take much unto Himself, the entire salvation of our undying soul. And this is the only matter that is going to satisfy a righteous and holy God. Our weak endeavors in trying to fulfill some religious duties or trying to pacify our conscience with worldly activities, the sins of this world will never do it. But when God is able to look upon you and I through the redeeming work of His Son, the Father is satisfied. He is able to say, They are my children. My care will be upon them. They will be mine forever. Tonight gathered here, I'm sure there are many who experience many troubles, sorrows. Not only in their spiritual form, but in the natural. There is a great cross-bearer. When Lestadius calls him the great cross-bearer, it is for a reason. And many, many times we do not behold the greatness of the great cross-bearer. How he bears everything in our behalf. And he does it with joy. But in purchasing this field and all these things, then he has to minister unto us and provide unto us. Has he been faithful to you in your journey? Many times as we enter into a new trial or sorrow, sickness, whatever it is, it seems like the heart of unbelief arises within us and we forget of all the care that has been upon us. In the prior trials and sorrows and sins and shortcomings, there has been one who has been faithful. He has not denied us. But he has borne us each step of the journey. He is faithful. When he has taken us unto himself, it has been a betrothal that has been forever. It is not for a short journey and in the first mistake, the first shortcoming he beholds in us, he says that no longer do I want you for my own. But rather his care, then he begins to minister unto us and care for us. As you journey forward and the troubles of life come upon you, And uh, David speaks of this in one of the Psalms. He says that my, my prayer returned into my own bosom. Does it ever feel this way unto you that when your prayer arises from within your heart, that it does not go very far, but it returns right into back into your own bosom? And God has not even heard this. But the, uh, the Apostle speaks in this manner. He says, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know now what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts 
knoweth what is in the mind of, of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This journey that we are upon is not our own journey, but we have been called upon this journey by a Heavenly Father. A Heavenly Father who has a great concern over each one that has been He has given the breath of life to. And when He has a concern over us, He's going to fulfill all things. Tonight we can have full confidence and trust that there is a Heavenly Father who is going to care for me because I have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. I have been bought, I have been that treasure that has been hid in a field. But with joy the Savior has come and drawn me close onto His warm bosom of love. And in this way, then we can have the confidence that there is a Heavenly Father who has provided everything for our salvation. And now He grants unto us also His Holy Spirit, the Spirit that helpeth our infirmities. At times it seems we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So from the heart of the believer there arises a groanings that cannot be uttered, the Spirit of God within. And those prayers do not return into our own bosom, but they ascend to the heights of heaven, where our Heavenly Father listens carefully for the sighs and the groanings of His people. He that searches the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit. He that searches the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit. The Spirit knows the struggles within the heart, knows the great desires to be rescued, to be supplied with which lacks. The Spirit there begins to make intercession then for the children of God according to the will of God. Is there anything more precious than this that within the bosom of a child of God created within the new man intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. What is the will of God? It's something perfect, good, beneficial uh, for each one of us. And also, not only does the Spirit of God intercede in our behalf, but also there has been the Son of God who has went to buy that treasure that was hid in a field. He who knows you by name tonight, 
He who knows the feelings and infirmities of your heart. He who has journeyed here and knows exactly what each of us know and experience here. And in this way is able to secure, succor the children of God and lead them on another step of the way. When he has then bought that field, he provides everything for his children. There is still one more matter as he cares for us upon this journey. Jesus has ascended into the heights of heaven after his suffering and death, his resurrection. And now he sits upon the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. They're caring and ministering unto this church that he has purchased, awaiting that day, and this is the great goal that is before him. This is the great day that the Father awaits also. And oh, that he would kindle that within our hearts here tonight. That we would be awaiting for that moment when there will be an eternal union that never can be separated. Where the Heavenly Father can have His lost children safely with Him forever. Where Jesus with pride can present each one of us unto his Father and say, This is the one who I have purchased. Behold how beautiful they are. They are yours forever, dear Father. Is this the moment that you await as you journey here in the midst of sorrows, troubles, corruption within your own heart knowing that there is a redeemer whose blood is so powerful so with such a cleansing power that regardless of your sins and your corruption your murmurings your down sittings and down and your downfalls that through the penitence that he has created within your heart he is able to then present you so beautifully in the sight of God. As Lestadia says, that the angels of heaven even will marvel at the bride of Jesus. May God in his goodness care for each one of us. And may he grant unto us from his good pleasure his kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy as we journey here. One day from the lips and the new tongue of the redeemed, the one who has purchased this field with joy, he who has had to sell all that is had to buy that field, will receive honor, praise, and glory 
from that purchase that he has made there when he sold all that he had, a great redeemed flock is going to be gathered at his throne where they will there partake of his goodness forever. We thank you, dear Father, even tonight for blessing us with your goodness unto this very moment. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus his eternal love that he has bestowed upon us, that we can journey as your dear children. One day we will thank you as we truly should, but here we want to offer even thanks in this body of corruption. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. We have heard this evening of the a treasure that is hidden in a field and how Jesus has sold all to buy it. <clears throat> Certainly there are many thoughts that come to mind and heart and questions concerning this <clears throat> portion of God's word what this treasure is and why is it hid who has hidden it and who is it hidden from when we consider from that standpoint that Jesus has purchase this treasure <clears throat> to him it indeed is precious and dear and why is it hid we heard in the parable that Jesus speaks that the kingdom of heaven is likened unto treasure that is hidden in the field first it is hidden in the field and then Jesus finds it a man finds it and if we consider that man to be Christ he has found it and then he hides it again so that it remains hid until he has purchased and bought that field and then it is his to do with as he desires if we consider that field to be the world then where in this world is this treasure hidden <clears throat> the Bible speaks in many places concerning treasures and also of the fact that it is hidden. The Apostle Paul writing unto the Corinthians in the very same chapter where <clears throat> he speaks of this treasure, says we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And he is speaking of this treasure from man's standpoint. But it is also hid even there. For he says in the same chapter that if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. 
lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So even even though we consider the treasure from <clears throat> man's standpoint, even there it is hidden. And from God's side, as God looks upon it, again it is hidden. And who is it hidden from? And why is it hidden? In this world, it's, it is said, and we've often heard this statement that to one man's trash is another man's treasure. And perhaps we can also consider that in the spiritual light, in the light of God's word and what we have heard even this evening. The same treasure that to one is, is a treasure, as Jesus himself says that in the Sermon on the Mount also, says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. But then he says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So a treasure is something that we cherish and hold dear in our hearts, isn't it? And it's not the same for everyone, even in the natural things of this life. One treasure is one
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let us turn to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray as we have sung with the songwriter that we would indeed put our trust in Thee. But so many times we trust in ourselves, in our own strength, our own wisdom, our own abilities. And we fail to fully trust ourselves into Thy care and keeping. Though of our own selves we are utter failures. And we can do nothing without Thee, even as the Apostle has known. But in Thee we can do all things, for Thou dost strengthen us. And even this night of grace, as we again come before Thee, we would want to trust that Thy word would again be made known unto our hearts and souls as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path as a shield against all the onslaughts of the enemy of the soul as a strong fortress into which we can flee and find refuge as food and nourishment unto our undying soul for thy word is all things and we Pray, therefore, that Thou would <clears throat> open that word unto our hearts, and that thou, thou would also bless us with ears and hearts that would be open and ready to receive. We also pray for those who are distant from us, many who are in beds of pain, many who are sickly and who have other troubles and calamities of life to contend with, and some with problems and with cares and burdens that they cannot hardly cope with, we ask that Thou would strengthen and comfort each and every one, knowing fully each heart's condition and, and the needs of every heart. We ask that Thou would also bless those who are elderly among us, who are nearing the end of their journey as they approach the last feeble steps, that Thou would strengthen them, that they can also continue steadfast in faith unto the end. And those who, are, who have asked for our prayers, we Pray that Thou would also bless each and every one. Bless our youth, our young. Strengthen them, guide and direct them in the way of righteousness and truth. Reveal unto them that there is a foundation, there is a surety, there is a place where every heart of every age can find a refuge and strength and comfort and blessing and peace and love and righteousness and is all in Christ Jesus our Savior. Bless our little children that are growing up that they would also be brought up in the fear and in the admonition of the Lord and be guided in all righteousness and truth. Give parents wisdom and understanding to teach 
them and to care for them as thy own children. And so bless us all for whom thou hast shed thy holy and innocent blood and purchased us with a price that is far greater than all that this world has to offer. Hear us, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Next song from the large book, number 580. Oh. 
to greet you all again with that precious peace that we have through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has paid a price for each one of us. And the Father from heaven, we know that through Him, loves everyone here with such a great love that He would send His Son here to purchase us. And so to become to come before those that He loves so greatly, we beg of Him tonight that He could use this servant to speak. Because I know that there's one thing that every... Every human desires, and that's peace, and that's rest. And it's only by the calling of the Father and through Jesus Christ that we can have that, that He has prepared for us. And that if I could be given the words to speak, that if there's anyone here tonight that is restless, searching, going back and forth, unsure of themselves, that there could come that that could be taken taken a hold of, that their feet could be placed, and even my feet again could be set on that rock where my feet and your feet do not slip. And that we could be in God's purpose and in His will and no longer be in our own vain confidence, but we could have an assurance that would give us a calmness and a steadiness that is what living Christianity is all about. It's a peace that is beyond all understanding and it's something that is so sure and so quiet. And with that, there's a love and an abiding love where we come to know from our own experiences what our brother and sister is up against in this world and yet we know that where that place is where they can too have peace and joy. I'd like to read from the Gospel of John and read an account of, again, it seems to be centered more around Peter. And it seems that Peter was, was one that many times he, his own nature and his restlessness and his being a, a man with a strong nature, he would find himself in a place where instead of being or doing the things that he was supposed to be doing or he thought he was going to do, he found himself coming short. And so Jesus was speaking to him and to his disciples, but namely to to Peter here in the 21st chapter. I'd like to read that chapter through to the end. In Jesus' name. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he, he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in, in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and they, and that night they caught nothing. 
But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat onto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were two hundred cubits dragging in the net with fishes. And as soon then as they came, as they were come to to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fishes which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith to him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee, whither thou wouldest not. This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter turned, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is, which said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that that, that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. It seems that even in my own journey and experience, and I'm sure it is with many here, that that this heart of Peter and even what has taken place here comes 
very close to us. We know that already they had experienced Pentecost. They had seen Jesus the three times. And it seems if you read in Matthew that they were instructed to go and wait or they were to be in a certain place. But it seemed that already that Peter was impatient. And we know that his occupation and or you could say his career and maybe even his his what you you could say his natural calling or his ability was fishing and this he knew he could do and so this is after they waited for a while there with the rest of those disciples that were there peter being that that man that was very forward and, and was a leader by nature Though many times some of us that lead on our nature is we lead, we don't exactly lead in the way that we should be leading. And it seems like many times when we are zealous for leadership that this is many times the way we lead. I was with my father and we were walking up the, the driveway and we have a little dog who's scared of its own shadow. But it was running ahead of us there. It would run ahead and it turn around and it look at us to make sure that we were following and if we had stopped, it would no longer run ahead of us. So as we were walking, it would run ahead, and, and you could tell by its by its body language that it was leading. That's the way it pictured the whole process, and and uh, we were following her, and she was very proud of her position that she was in. But yet, if there was anything that came up, she was only leading as we were following. And so many times in the church that this type of leadership. And this was the type of leadership that even Peter set out here. We only go as far as those that are with us will follow. But yet we're not leading to a place that we should be leading because we are not even really a leader at heart. Only sometimes you could say in nature. And we see businesses that many times are even operate this way and they go to, into bankruptcy or a very poor managed business. Because a person likes his independence, he likes his own way but really real leadership you you deal with things that are unpleasant you may have to terminate employees you have to do many things that are required of leadership and so even peter here in his leadership in this there where he said he's going fishing and he took all the rest of them to go fishing there with him and it seems that if i would and maybe i'm reading too much into it but it seems that they were to be waiting jesus had a much higher calling for them, and he also has a much higher calling for each one of us than our natural occupations, our business. And many times we can become so choked with our cares of this world, and we approach it from the, and make that our focus and our reason, our success in our business. And it is not now as God's children, though we are to do all things as we do it unto the Lord, but our only hope our all that we do should be to support what Christ are is, to, is to follow after Christ and what Christ has done and not to follow after the flesh and is to serve him with all of our heart and with all of our mind and with all of our soul but many times we will approach our work our occupation and even our money that we will achieve from our work with the mind that many times even the commandments were approached. We know that 
that Jesus spoke of the fourth commandment, and he spoke of how they they dishonor didn't do not honor their parents, and by their reasoning they had figured out a way that if they would pledge their money to the church, their inheritance to the church, that it relieved them of all responsibility of their parents. And we can find ourselves even with our with our focus on our work, we can have a very godly idea that with my money and with my efforts I'm going to support the church. And by this means it justifies that I focus on my endeavors to where I overlook my highest my highest calling. So anyway, Peter here now had, had went fishing and they were fishing and I don't believe it was any coincidence that they're fishing with this heart and with this mind that it wasn't successful. And they fished all night and we many of us know what it's like to fish all night and not get any fish and when the sun comes up in the morning as they fished through the night I'm sure that they were tired of casting nets and rowing and doing all this and now there was someone standing on the shore instructing them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat and this all so this place here is the speaker of God's word and I say that for all of us as many times we will even when we're fishing in God's for, for Jesus when we're our fishermen of men that if we could only cast our nets and even this evening that I could be such that I would cast my net on the side of the boat that Jesus instructs to be that net to be cast that I would not come here with some idea of how I'm going to reach out to men with a preconceived idea that because of my abilities to speak or to teach that this is going to to be effective. I can be a great man of words and actually bring the, the cross to non-effect even as, as Paul spoke of, that he didn't want to come with fine speech or oration because of this very matter, that the very brutalness, the very ugliness of the cross, that with fine speeches and words we could make it into something that is very acceptable and we can receive it in a such in a carnal way that it is not actually what it is. And your focus could become on the one that is speaking, that you would be flattered by his words. And you could sit in the audience and say that aren't we worthy of this man that speaks before us and the words would be of non-effect and the net could be cast with great skill and ability and never receive anything in that net. But when the, by the power of the Holy Spirit when that net and this word is spoken that those fish, they cannot escape this net. And this is what we desire and I would desire that even for the keeping of our youth, to the keeping of all of us that are on this journey, that those that speak, both here in this place, and mothers and fathers that teach at home, that their children would have no doubt that it is by the moving of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ that has been, been done in their own parents, that their word is true, and it has power, and it convicts, and it saves.
But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and, they, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat onto him, for he was naked, and he cast himself into the sea. It seems that even we have John here, whom I'm sure that this, that it's not by any accident that it, that it speaks of John and how it was it was him that that uh, had asked that question. If it, when Jesus asked if uh, had mentioned that there was one there that was going to going to deceive him, and John right away he, he had the heart that was asked that is it I. And we also know that John was that one that seemed to have a real love for Jesus and a a type of heart that was ready and quick to receive and to follow and to believe, but yet to also to 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 wonder that that am I am I that one that would deceive? It seems that many with the Pharisees, and we find even when our, in ourselves and with my own self, that when I'm walking in my pride, I have very little room to even consider my own weaknesses and shortcomings and a great ability to see them in my brother. We know that, that when John, when Jesus asked that, I'm sure that, that John, John was, was really concerned that he would be would, was that one that would deceive Jesus, but we also know that Peter was the type of man that that he he was. We know that he boastfully said that he would go to the very end for Jesus, and I'm sure he thought he meant it. I'm sure many of us have also experienced that within our own journeys, that in our youth and our zeal, and especially when. We first start on this journey and we come to understand that our sins are forgiven and the Satan comes and now he tells us that you, you have now became a fine Christian and now you, you, you can really follow after Jesus and you can do what's right. And there becomes a great struggle there just as it seems that you could say that even how Job was dealt with and that Jesus, Jesus has to allow us, or God has to allow us to be, the hedges to be lowered, and Satan to come, and to bring us to that place that we have to understand that it is only by His keeping and His guidance that we can follow after Jesus and do as we should do. So here, now they... John was the first one to notice that that it, that it was Jesus standing there on the shore, and you could say the first one to actually, in that distance that they were, to believe that it was Jesus that he would make that statement. And John, then, in his in his you could see in his zeal and his boldness, he cast himself there from the boat with his coat girt around him and heads to shore before the others. And there was Jesus. 
physically standing on the shore. And this is many times we read this story like it's some distant happening. And maybe it's just a story and don't really comprehend with our hearts and our mind that it was physically Jesus standing there on the shore. And this is as true as anything is true, that He was standing there. And this is how Jesus is and can be with us. It's just this real in our hearts that we would take a hold and believe just so simply that He is He is even here with us, that we would find Him in our midst. And this is not something that is, it is put here for us to see that He's not, it is not such a relationship that it is not comprehensible. It is not something that is, is so smoke and mirrors are distant that it would be, you would have to come up with some theory or far-reaching story to say that He was there somehow reconstituted or that He was physically there and He had a fire prepared there and He was standing just as me and you can stand before each other and carry on a conversation that His presence was there and we can find this presence here tonight in our brothers and sisters where Christ is dwelling in these earthen vessels but in the same confidence that we can we can hear Him and hear His Word in a living way. And as soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals, and there was fish there laid thereon, and bread. And Jesus said unto them, Bring of the fish, fish of which we, ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of fishes, a hundred and fifty and three and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask, Who art thou? Knowing that it was Jesus, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth, giveth them fish and likewise. And this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Many times we find ourselves focusing in on an experience in our lives, a time when we came to a knowledge of our sin, or maybe a place where we would say that God has done a work in our heart, and start to focus on this and consider and examine it. And this is many times, I say, is a very dangerous place for us to journey and a very dangerous thing for us to be looking at. Not that we all don't, don't consider our experiences and, and don't talk of our experiences because this is how we share the great work that Christ has done in our lives. But it is the blood of Christ and the sacrifice is where our whole focus and our eyes should be. Because this is where all sufficiency is for us. This is where the Father in heaven is satisfied and our, our sin is covered. 
though they had this third time Jesus had been in their midst, that this was still a place where they found themselves and Peter found himself. You could say that he wasn't he wasn't committed, or I don't know if that sounds like a word that it would be many people use, but he wasn't, you could say, of his nature and his ability that there was never, even in, later on we know that, that even Paul said face to face, confronted Peter with the things that were happening, that Peter was of such a nature, it seemed that many times that, that God had to work with him and bring him back to this place. And I think this is the way it is with many of us. And especially when we start to to take our ways, our take our eyes away from that which makes us children of God, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And how this takes place, and when we start to know that this has taken place, is when there starts to be a lack of love for the brothers within the kingdom of God. Because when our eyes have been taken away from the sacrifice are that we are not a partaker of the blood. It means that we are no longer standing before the per- perfectness of God's Word and walking as sinners saved by grace. Because we know that a faith that is not by grace is a dead faith. It is not a living faith. It seems that many times that our, or the way our flesh is, that many times we do, our flesh does not like and will not ever desire to come into the presence of God's righteousness and word. And when this takes place and we are not under the teaching and under the true light of God's word, right away there is only one thing that can happen is we, the righteousness of God, and we know what this righteousness is, it's what God has written with his own finger it's the two tables of the law which is love towards God and love towards our neighbor and when we start to stand before this we start to know that we don't love our Lord as we should but there by the leading of the Holy Spirit and his calling we desire that we can come into his midst and we also realize that we don't love our neighbor as we should And we see that with this unworthiness that we have no hope. And this is where the flesh of man then is condemned. And Jesus went to the cross. And when we start to look at this matter from such a place where we start to look at our own abilities and we don't walk in the justifying work that Christ has done for us, we start to try to lay claim on something that has not been ours because it did not come by the way of the cross. And that comes because we find ourselves at the only one place where we can be bold or that we can come into the presence of God as it always has been that the holiest of holies could could never be entered in where he, he, he was present and that was with the blood. And if the blood is not present even tonight, that it is, it is all futile. And now we can say that, well, that we have the resurrection. But one of the things that was, was even happening here, one of the great manifestations of the work of Christ and that which is done within us is when we walk and follow after Christ. When Christ has been risen 
and has become the day star within our own hearts, one of the things that is manifest within the Christians is the desire to be in the will of the Father. Because the Son, which is the new man, of which we have no boast, is Christ and is of Christ. And Christ has always, from the very beginning, delighted to be in the will of the Father. And it is the only way and the only reason that he went forward when he looked into that cup and considered what each one of us are, the depths of our sin. We are a fallen mankind. We are ugly. But with Jesus Christ, and when we are covered in his blood, we are perfect before the Heavenly Father. We are adopted with all of our baggage, with all of our sin. And it is covered and it is paid for. We are redeemed. And then there's such a work in this, in this resurrection work, then in this heart, there's a love for our brothers and sisters because Christ loves. But our flesh is with us, just as it was here with Peter. And Peter, it seems many times he... And as Paul even writes, it's not just Peter, and it comes in Peter's even here before you, even tonight. So Peter, he asked Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou now more than these? And Jesus here, I feel, was referring to even the, at the place when Peter there denied him, when he was on the cross, and Peter's zealousness and Peter's inability to, to follow through with. And now here was Peter fishing. And he's asking, you lovest me more than these? And we know he had the fish there, and Jesus had told him to bring them to the fire, and it was natural food, natural bread. And this was the question that was before Peter, and it seems that Peter kind of lamely, he, he answers there because he knows that there's, there, there's something lacking. And I believe that there's a reason why there's something lacking, and I believe that even in our own lives that there's a place where we need to be committed completely as God's children. And this commitment that Jesus is laying before him, and he asks him again, he tells him to feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, loveth thee, thou me, and he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me, and Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all these things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And this is the same question that goes to each one of us tonight. And for those that are struggling, you could say between two opinions, and are trying to find and, and racing after the things of this life, and it seems that, that are choked with the things of this world, but yet they want to serve and follow after Jesus. But yet there's things in their lives that they hang on to, and they look at their lives and say, how can I live without this? I need to have that. I need to have this. I would basically, like even it was, it was before Peter, I'd be just as good as dead. And Peter didn't want to be dead. He did not want to die just as he denied Jesus when Jesus was on the cross. And here, even after the Pentecost, here was Peter with the same condition. And Jesus is bringing him... It's crazy. It wasn't out, uh, that was before Pentecost, I believe. I don't know. 
This was the third time, as it says, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself onto them. And, may, and if I am wrong, someone please correct me. So this is, that's, no, that's fine. And I'm glad that you feel, I'm glad that you feel free because I am flesh. And also sometimes I, I many times I will speak amiss. So thank you. That's, that's okay. So anyway, he says, lovest thou me more than, more than these. And, and Peter is, is grieved because I believe he knows he knows what Jesus is referring to. And so he's he's says then Jesus says, Verily, verily I, I say unto thee, When thou wast young thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest, but when thou shalt be old thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. And Jesus here is speaking of what manner of death that Peter himself would die. And it seems that this was something that Peter was did not want to give up. Is this, you could say, this love for this world... And this desire to, to, to be his own leader, his own man, and to walk in his own way. And Jesus here was telling him now that almost you could say is, Peter, give it up. Just give it up. That 